You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Good afternoon. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. And as you're opening to the text, I just want to say what a privilege and a joy it is to be here. Oh, you can be seated as well, for those of you still standing. It is a privilege and a joy to be here with you today. As Zach said, I am a pastor at South Highland Presbyterian Church, which is just down the road over in Five Points. But before I was a pastor there, my wife Abby and I were members of this congregation and worshiped with this congregation. We're incredibly grateful for that season of our life. We learned a great deal about pastoral ministry and and what it means to follow Jesus and to be a disciple of Jesus from learning under Zach and Andrew and really everyone in this congregation. And so we are grateful to have you as co-laborers in the gospel in the city of Birmingham. And I will also say, sort of as a fun fact, the first sermon I ever preached was in this nave. I was standing right down there for the Thursday morning service. I hadn't even taken a preaching class yet, but Bethany Rushing asked me to preach, and I said, sure. I was terrified, but I agreed. And then she sent me the text, and it was, I believe, 1 John, and it was on the Antichrist. And so my first sermon ever was in this sanctuary on the Antichrist. Thank you, Bethany, for that. All right, let's turn to the text together. Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. This is the story of Mary and Martha, which I'm sure is very familiar to many of you. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, in these next few moments together, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to open our eyes so that we might see your truth and that your truth would set us free. We ask these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. One of the great Christian writers and thinkers of our time was a man named Dallas Willard. Perhaps some of you are familiar with that name, perhaps maybe you're not. But Dallas was a professor of philosophy at the University of Southern California, but he's probably better remembered uh, for the many excellent books that he wrote about Christian discipleship and Christian spiritual formation. He was incredibly influential for many theologians and pastors over the past few decades. And there was one uh, particularly famous pastor who was closely mentored by Dallas Willard for many years. And this pastor tells a story of a time in his life when he was rapidly approaching what we now call burnout. His church was just exploding numerically. It was growing really fast. He was working insane hours. Uh, He was being a not great husband at home. He was neglecting his children. He knew that he was on a trajectory for self-destruction if something did not change soon. 
And so he called up his mentor, Dallas Willard, and he asked this question. How do I become the kind of disciple of Jesus that I want to be? How do I become the kind of disciple of Jesus that I want to be? There was a moment of silence on the other end of the phone. And then Dallas spoke, and he said, You must ruthlessly eliminate your life. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. This pastor had his journal in front of him, so he scribbled that, that word down and said, Okay, great. I can do that. That sounds good. What else do you have for me? And there's another moment of silence. And then Dallas said this, There is nothing else. Hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. As we all know, we now find ourselves once again in the season of Lent. It seems like last year's Lent never quite ended. The whole year felt like one long Lent, but here we are again. This is a season of repentance. It's a season of self-examination. It's a time when we take spiritual inventory of our hearts as we journey with Christ to the foot of the cross on Good Friday and then to the empty tomb on Easter Sunday. In other words, this is a time when we ourselves are asking, how do I become the kind of disciple of Jesus that I want to be? One of the most common Lenten practices, as we know, is fasting, or another way is uh, ruthlessly eliminating. They're, They're sort of the same thing. We fast from certain pleasures, from certain foods, from certain uh, habits or, or patterns of thought, patterns of behavior, in order to focus our hearts on Christ and to attend to our spiritual health. Now, what I'd like to suggest in our next few minutes together is that the thing that prevents us from being the kinds of disciples of Jesus that we want to be, these things are not primarily the, the dark vices and the unchecked sins in our lives. Although those, those obviously play a significant role, and we should, we should confess those to, to God and to others and receive forgiveness and absolution and live in that forgiveness. But I think more often than not, what distracts us most is simply the day-to-day grind of life. It's our endless tasks and responsibilities. It's our habit of constantly being on the go, plugged in, filling every minute of every hour with a podcast, a phone call, perhaps a TikTok, if that's your thing, a news article, just something that we can point to and say, this hour of our life was productive. Now, I think it's safe to say that the life I am describing right now um, does not sound like one that we would willingly choose, right? It sounds exhausting. But the reality is, day in and day out, we do choose this life, And it is exhausting. The more I talk to people, especially throughout this past year, it is clear that all of us on sort of a deep soul level are exhausted in one way or another. I think Dallas Willard was correct. The greatest enemy of our spiritual lives today is our busyness. It's our hurry. In our scripture passage, we see this dynamic playing out in two contrasting examples. We see an example of what restful discipleship looks like. Then we also see an example of how busyness, even if it's busyness doing good things, can actually keep us from Jesus. Let's take a closer look at this text together. 
In this passage, Jesus is on a journey. He's on his way to Jerusalem, where he knows that the crucifixion awaits him. And as he's on the road, a woman named Martha invites him and his followers into her home. And then once they're there, Jesus does what he often does. He begins to teach. And we see that Mary, Martha's sister, sits at Jesus' feet and listens intently to what he has to say. And then we get to verse 40. But Martha, notice the contrast, but Martha was distracted with much serving. Now, is there anything wrong with Martha's activity here? Like, is, is her behavior, what she's actually doing, sinful in any way? No, of course not. She has welcomed Jesus into her home. She's probably preparing a delicious meal for all of his followers. She's tidying up, making sure everyone's comfortable. If they had cocktails back then, she would be the one at the wet bar making sure everyone's glass is filled. She is fulfilling the cultural expectations of what it means to be a good host. In other words, externally, for those looking on the outside, she appears to be diligently and faithfully serving her guest, who just so happens to be Jesus in the flesh, or God in the flesh, I should say. So what's the problem here? Let's keep reading. Martha comes to Jesus and says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. I feel like Martha gets a little bit of a bad rap, but I sort of love her, her courage and, I guess, gumption is what you'd call it. She acknowledges that Jesus is Lord, and then she tells him what to do. There's, there's something sort of admirable about that, I think. And I think we can all relate to the frustration that Martha is expressing here. It does seem incredibly unfair that Mary gets to sit and to listen to this great teacher as Martha frantically works to be a good host. We can, we can feel Martha's resentment building, and it seems justified. But what is Jesus' response? Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Once again, we have that contrast Many things, but one thing is necessary. Now, this sounds like a harsh reprimand, depending on how you read it, but I don't think that's what Jesus is doing here. Notice the way he repeats Martha's name. Martha, Martha. There's affection and compassion. This is not a public shaming. Jesus feels the anxiety in her soul, and he wants to free her of this burden. The problem was not with what Martha was doing. The problem was why she was doing it. Her acts of service did not grow out of a heart transformed by a genuine encounter with Jesus and his teaching. Her activity stemmed from from worry and distraction and anxiety and perhaps a heavy dose of cultural expectations of what was expected of her. I hope I'm not the only one who sees a great deal of myself in Martha today. Many of us have packed our schedules, or we're always on the move, or we're unable to simply sit without doing something. And I think there are at least two factors behind this. There's, there's probably many more, but two at least that I want to focus on this morning, and that, or this afternoon. 
The first is that being busy makes us feel like our lives matter, doesn't it? Makes us feel important. We wear our busyness and our exhaustion as badges of honor to prove that we have worth. It's a form of self-justification and self-righteousness. When I meet someone and I ask them how they're doing, and I'm a little ashamed to admit this, and they say, you know, I'm so well-rested. My life's very calm right now. Everything's going pretty well. I got a good night's sleep. My first thought is, you must not be very important then, because if you were important, you would be frantic like the rest of us. But the more we do and the more we accomplish, we begin to feel justified before God and righteous before man, until at least we realize that there's always something more we can be doing. It is a never-ending treadmill. Now, the second, I think that being busy can also act as a defense mechanism. And I want to expand the definition of busyness here. I'm not just talking about the things that we all have to do because we have jobs and lives and responsibilities. Those, those are all good and important things. I'm also talking about the busyness here that is just our constant need to be occupied. The kind of, of busyness of pulling out your phone by instinct when you're standing in line because you have a two-minute window where nothing else is going on and you have to fill that time with something. This prevents us from having to actually deal with the wounds the insecurities, the disappointments, the sin, and the pain in our souls. And on the other hand, a genuine encounter with Jesus lays all of our hurt bare. And so in this sense, I think staying busy is actually a lot easier than slowing down. If I took a poll, I think we would all probably say that we long to go on a nice vacation or or a sabbatical or to take on a lighter schedule. But What I've experienced and what I've found from talking to others is that many of us are so wound up that even our times of rest end up giving us anxiety. Here's what I mean by that. About a year or so ago, I was uh, in school. I was working at a church. I had a lot going on. My wife was pregnant. Very busy time in my life. And I was approaching probably what I would call burnout. I, I was just drained all the time. I was grumpy. And I just would sit in class and just daydream about throwing my laptop out the window, turning off my phone, and just going somewhere and sitting in silence by myself and reconnecting with God through nature and going for walks or or whatever. And so I realized this, you know, this was not good. I haven't even started my pastoral ministry full-time yet, and I'm already on this trajectory. And so my friend and I, Clayton, who's here in in the crowd today, we, we made a plan to go spend about 24 hours or so at a monastery in Coleman, Alabama. Did you know there's a monastery in Coleman, Alabama? It's very nice. I commend it to you. A wonderful cemetery. It's very peaceful. And when we got there, we were each assigned a room, right? Like our own individual room. It's sort of like a dorm, basically. And there was a twin-sized bed. There was a desk, a chair, a bedside table, and a lamp. And that was pretty much it. And I thought, this is perfect. This is what my soul has been longing for. And so I turned off my phone. I pulled up my Bible, and I sat on the bed. And I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start to read God's Word. And this will be rejuvenating. And then after about five minutes, I noticed out of the corner of my eye that the desk was a little bit wobbly. It was, it was off-center. And I just became fixated on it. And I said, okay, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to figure out a way how to sort of level it out, and then I can relax. And so I did that. And then I got back on the bed, and I said, okay, I'm going to read through a couple psalms now. And after about five minutes, I thought, you know what? I need to take a shower. Like, that will help me decompress. That will help me relax. That will be the the thing that finally helps me to relax. So I did that, got back on the bed, started praying, started reading. 
And I thought, you know, it's almost dinner time, and we haven't made a dinner plan yet. And so I went over to, to Clayton's room, and I sort of knocked. We weren't supposed to talk, so I was whispering. We made our dinner plan, and then I got back in the room, and again, sat on the bed, pulled out my Bible. And then about every five minutes or so, a thought or a fear or an anxiety would just come flooding into my mind. And so I would just instinctively reach for my phone. It was off, and I just kept reaching for it to be reminded that the screen was black and there was nothing there to distract me. I kept finding things to do because I didn't know how to slow down, and I didn't like what I discovered when I did slow down. And I actually just remember this this morning. I actually got a speeding ticket on the way home from the monastery. I was going so fast away from that experience to get back to my regular busy life that I got a speeding ticket. So there's your metaphor. Being busy can be a very, very helpful defense mechanism against having to encounter our true selves. But this constant activity that we fill our lives with can also prevent us from encountering the true Jesus, the Jesus who wants to heal all of that brokenness. And as we see with Martha in particular, it's especially easy to be busy for Jesus. And I think Southern Christians in particular, myself included, are, are uh, especially in danger of going this route. Like Martha, many of us fill our days with church activities and volunteering and service, and all of these things are good. And yet these things can also distract us from resting and being renewed and finding our identity in Jesus. And so at the end of the day, we discover that we have been working all day from our own strength rather than the strength of Christ, and we are spiritually depleted. And as I'm sure Zach would agree, pastors are especially guilty and at risk of this type of busyness. We can be so busy for Jesus that we end up missing Jesus. Jesus tells Martha that one thing is necessary and that Mary has chosen it. What is this one necessary thing? It is sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to his word and receiving his good news that we are justified, forgiven, and made new in him. It's not that this is the only good thing. There are many good and important things for us to do with our lives, but sitting at the feet of Jesus is the one necessary thing. And all truly faithful acts of service and discipleship flow out of that healing encounter with Jesus. This order is very, very important. It's the healing encounter with Jesus and then the acts of discipleship and service for him. A lot goes wrong when we get that order flip-flopped. Brothers and sisters, if you are weary, if you are discouraged, if you are tired today, then I have two truths that I want to leave with you. And here's the first truth. There is nothing you can do to earn the grace and love of God. There is nothing you can do to earn the grace and love of God. No matter how much you accomplish, no matter how much you serve, no matter how busy your schedule is, it will never be enough. You will always constantly feel like you need to do more. Now, if that sounds like bad news, the second truth is the good news. You don't have to do anything to earn the grace and love 
of God. Jesus has already done all of that work for you on the cross through his atoning death and resurrection, which was for you. When Jesus died, he said, it is finished. He did not say, I've done my part, now you go and do your part. He said, it is finished. This means that we can stop striving and simply rest in him and what he has done for us. How do we become the kind of disciples of Jesus that we want to be? We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to have it all together. There is no way we can do enough work to earn a spot at Jesus' feet. Friends, simply receive this invitation from our Savior. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me, all you Marys who long to sit at my feet. Come to me, all you Marthas who are anxious and troubled about many things. Come to me, and I will give you rest. Thanks be to God. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.